On this edition of Larry the Golf Guy, we talked to Darren Davis, who is the longtime uh, golf course superintendent at Old Florida Golf Club in Naples, Florida. Darren is a uh, nationally recognized golf course superintendent uh, who has been, uh, among other things, former president of the Golf Course Superintendent Association of America, uh, speaks uh, publicly um, all over the country about golf course maintenance issues, and as I think you'll see, has a real passion for maintenance in the game. Um, so we talk with him about how he got started and uh, some of his experiences, including his time at Augusta National. Uh, so up next on this edition of Larry the Golf Guy, Darren Davis of Old Florida Golf Club. Well, welcome to another edition of Larry the Golf Guy. And I am so pleased today to have joining us really one of the great superintendents in our game, Darren Davis, who is a longtime superintendent at uh, Old Florida um, in Naples. Darren, thank you so much for making time to uh, talk to us today. Larry, thank you for having me. It's a, it's a privilege. So um, just to kind of go back a little to the beginning and give people some context here and kind of how you got into golf and ultimately the maintenance side of it. I knew you, I know you grew up in Tallahassee. I, I, I learned technically, I guess you were born in Huntsville, Alabama, um, but uh, you moved as a very young child uh, when your dad took a position with NASA in Cape Canaveral. I, I see Huntsville and I see Cape Canaveral. I, I, I can tell I've got science and engineering there, uh, you know, with your dad for sure. Um, and you were lived there for a little bit and then, uh, but you really spent most of your childhood in Tallahassee, right? I did. Yes, sir. I, my dad had transferred down to Cape Canaveral from Redstone and my mother stayed behind to have me. So when, once I was born, I only stayed 22 days in Huntsville before we, as I say, got on a big old jet airliner and our Southern slang and went down <laughs> to Cape Canaveral. Uh, I've lost some of the Southern accent in 56 years of living in Florida, but I can pull it out every now and then. But yeah, Tallahassee, as you said, is is home for me. Uh, we lived there as a family from fifth grade on. So that's what I consider home. Great. And how did you first get introduced to golf? I, I If I remember reading, I think your dad was only an occasional golfer, but sometimes it sounds like you might take might have taken his clubs to sort of uh, hit a few. But I'd, I'd be interested to hear how you first got introduced to the game. I, I did. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge sports guy. My, my father was as well. He enjoyed sports. He enjoyed spending time with his boys. And, you know, my memories of Cape Canaveral are, are pretty uh, slim. I do remember sitting on the roof and watching rocket launches. And, yeah, and sure. Pictures to see that. But I, I came across some pictures of my dad hitting wiffle balls in the yard down in Cape Canaveral. So, I, you know, he, he enjoyed the game. He didn't play a lot. Uh, but when we moved to Tallahassee, I just started pitching and putting and playing around with it and actually uh, took the lawnmower and, and lowered it down to lowest setting and cut a target green in the backyard so I could hit shots at it. And uh, so I just kind of stumbled upon it. It wasn't something that was intentional. Um, uh, we grew up in, in Tallahassee and the course that I would play would be the, the Seminole golf course, the university golf course now called Seminole legacy after a redesign by, by Jack Nicholas and his son. Uh, but back then, you know, a round of golf was was six bucks, and that included wow. at the turn. Uh, a lot of hard wow. play lies, but uh, it was it was a fun course to play, and I would sneak out there every chance I got. 
Cool. Right. And of course, uh, Tallahassee is the home of the Seminoles. When I, I when I first saw Seminole, I'm thinking Seminole. That's not the same Seminole. But then, of course, I'm remembering Tallahassee, you know, their nickname, the Seminoles. So makes sense. So um, you so you grow up there, you, you graduate high school there. Um, I know you initially, you know, went to community college and got an associate degree. But then I just mentioned FSU. You, you we went to FSU. Uh, we're going to pursue an engineering degree, civil engineering, but you sort of kind of quickly pivoted. Tell me what was sort of the thinking there and how you ended up pivoting to golf course maintenance. So I I, I owe it to my father. Um, my father has since passed, but my father grew up extremely poor. He grew up in, in rural Alabama, and he was the first member of his family to ever uh, to go to college. So wow. he was insistent his boys were going to go to college. Um, so when I was in high school, I didn't, didn't study a whole lot. I didn't take, I was a pretty smart guy. So I was able to just get by. And, you know, in high school, if you could, could major in a subject, I would have majored in basketball. I was co-captain. <laughs> of basketball team. Oh, wow. Um, so, I mean, I, I think I graduated with seven BE credits, but it was basketball two and three times a day. Um, so when I got finished with high school, I realized, okay, now what? And that's dad, like I said, dad was insistent we're going to go to college. And I didn't know what, what I wanted to do. So that's how the community college started. He said, well, you're going to go. Um, so when I finished community college, uh, same thing. Uh, dad said, nope, son, you're going to, you're going to figure this thing out. And you know, I picked civil engineering because, you know, I was, I was a pretty good student, A and B student in high school. And, and I love to be outdoors. I love to create things. And I thought, okay, engineering, civil engineering, I'll build bridges and things like that. I need, I knew I wanted a good job to make a good living. Um, so I thought, well, this, this fits. Um, so the, the kind of the short story of it is within 10 days, I didn't know what language they were talking in the classroom. I was <laughs> calculus and trig and um, I was totally lost. And, and Larry, I just, I never failed anything in my life. And I remember going to my dad and saying, and dad, I'm, I'm going to save you some money. I've got to drop out of school and there's just no way I can do the civil engineering thing. And I remember being in tears telling him that, uh, so I went back to, to college for the last day and I ran into a, a high school buddy. Mm -hmm. What are you doing? And I said, well, Gene, I'm, I'm going to, unfortunately I'm dropping out of college and uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he said, you need to get a job at the, the local golf course, uh, Golden Eagle in Tallahassee. It was, it was brand new at the time. And he was just doing a summer job there. And he said, I said, well, what's, what's, what's it all about? And so he explained it. And I said, well, that's, that sounds good. I like golf and, and I'm working outdoors with my hands. That's, that sounds like me. And it was just that chance meeting on campus, literally the last day of wow. you. And so wow. uh, I'll tell you a little secret, Larry, I had yeah. hair on my shoulders at that point. Uh, I was kind of in a rebellious stage. I had a couple earrings in my ear, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, we, we should have some pictures on the wall of that. I mean, I, just for people who don't see a video, I mean, Darren's in his beautiful office at Old Florida and he's got all these wonderful photos behind him. That, that would be one you could have added to the collection. <laughs> that, that one stays hidden. I do know one of those, but uh, those stay hidden. I've got a little different image. Uh, these, these <laughs> but the, the hair came off, the earrings came out for good. Uh, I got past that stage of my life and I went out to Golden Eagle and, and met with the golf course superintendent, Jeff Dietmeyer. And I didn't okay. know what the golf course superintendent did. Right. Um, but fortunately, uh, Jeff Dietmeyer took a chance on this young 
20-year-old uh, young man that never worked on a golf course a day in his life. Uh, but he gave me a job, and I can remember that day like it was yesterday. Just the feeling I got pulling in those gates every morning to the golf course and listening to the birds and, and smelling the fresh cut grass and just being in that environment. I just, I was in love. I, I just immersed myself with everything golf that I could. Joined GCSAA, joined the USGA, read every book I could find on turf, every magazine through the, the various associations and even the, the, the twig books, the horticulture books, learning what every tree was. And it just, I had finally found my passion. And wow. it, was, it was so exciting. And um, certainly uh, uh, strapping the boots on the, that first day on the golf course was life changing. Wow, that's awesome. That's always great to find your passion. You're lucky you found it at a, at a young age. So you're there for a little bit. And then you end up, you know, actually going to do get a college degree, but in turf grass management. And, you know, of course, Penn State is famous for its that program and golf related programs. Um, how did you sort of end up getting to Penn State? And, and what was that like? So, again, it's it's a it's a blessing. Um, ended up Jeff Beatmeyer, who hired me, was a Penn State grad. The individual uh, that hired Jeff was a Penn State grad. Uh, so I told you earlier about my dad, and well, dad didn't let go of his passion. I was going <laughs> to quit college. Uh, so fortunately, I, I found something that I, I loved. I found, as I said, my passion. So right. you know, back then, late 80s, early 90s, that was back in the stage where we were building a golf course a day to keep up with demand. Right. Uh, so getting into turf school was actually hard. You didn't get yeah. in the first year. Uh, it was often multiple years to get in. Uh, and I, I, someone in the stars aligned because uh, Dr. Joe Dewitch, who ran the program for over 50 years, uh, looked at my application and I got accepted the first year. Wow. Good someone for you. Didn't want to lose that, that passion. And uh, so I think being from Florida, Dr. Dewitch liked to, to bring in students from all the states, or as many as he could represent across the country, as well as international. Uh, having worked for two Penn State grads uh, certainly uh, played into my favor. Uh, so, yes, fortunate that I got in the first year and, and attended Penn State. Awesome. And it, if, I, if I'm remembering right, I think, you know, Part of being in that great program is you got internships at sort of the Mecca, um, you know, Augusta National. Um, really curious to hear what those experiences were like. I think you were there as an apprentice superintendent in 90, and I think you came back for a little bit in 91 afterwards. And um, I mean, you know, for those of us, um, I, I've never played Augusta. I've, I've been to the Masters and, you know, of course, the it's kind of the zenith of, of maintenance. There's not a blade of grass, you know, that seems amiss. And, and, but, but more generally, it just, my, my sense from having been there and knowing a few people who are there, you know, it's just run so superbly at, at every level, but um, you're a youngster. You go to, you know, behind those gates at Augusta national. What was that like for you? It, it was special. I mean, that, that's the easiest way to describe it. it. It's a very special place, as you well know. Uh, you know, back then uh, until today, the, the superintendents had always been Penn State grads. And so they had a, uh, a, a affinity for uh, hiring at least three Penn State students every every year. So I applied and was fortunate to be hired by Marsh Benson. It was his first year as a superintendent there at, at Augusta National. 
um, he since has retired, but um, yeah, it, it's, you know, everyone there has a passion for what they do and uh, you just, you live and breathe the golf course. And uh, it's certainly changed a lot since my time there. I obviously go back regularly. Um, but back then we actually had an apartment that was adjacent to um, hole number five. So we would just take the golf cart home at night and pull the key and jump the fence and, and sleep a few hours and then go back to work the next morning. Nice. Nice. I think that's probably where Beekman's place is these days. <laughs> it, it but that's is. a good exactly spot. Right. Yes, that's exactly right. That, that parking lot that used to be there is gone and Berkman's is, is now in that spot. Right. So yeah, what, what, what an experience that must've been. So um, you're there and then um, I guess your first full-time position is down at Loxahatchee in Jupiter, which is another, it's a beautiful club, Nicholas design course and stuff like that. Um, and I guess you worked with Phil Shoemaker down there. What, what was that like, that experience there for you? Yeah, that was great. And, uh, you know, if, if you don't mind, back up just a, a touch. Yeah, please. When I, when I graduated Penn State, I, I didn't have a job. Uh, okay. As I'm nearing the end of, of school. And so one day we, we left three people in a room in a dorm room that's you know, 20 by 20. Uh, so one day <laughs> the phone rang and one of my roommates asked, answered the phone. And he says, Darren, Marsh Benson on the phone. And I, I wow, like, Marsh, Marsh, Marsh Benson. And uh, he goes, yes. And so I, I regained my composure and I answered the phone and I'll make the story short. But Marsh was calling the check on me to see if I had a job. And I told him, ah. I told him I'd sent some resumes out and, so this is just so I guess so this is after you'd spent the summer there so that's how he knew who you were yes correct. yes go ahead Uh, Penn State does a six-month apprentice program so it's two eight-week sessions and then a six-month internship and then you go back for your second year of school I got it okay it's near the end and when I told him I didn't have a job and I apparently had made an impact or impression on him which was nice and and he says, well, Augusta, he's a, a wonderful Southern man. He said, Augusta <laughs> National is a, is a great place to do a job search, Darren. And I said, oh, that, that sounds great. Um, how do you tell him no? I mean, it's Augusta. No, for sure. So, uh, exactly. I, you know, I, I wasn't worried. You know, he says, well, that's great. You know, we started working out some details. And I said, well, Marsh, I don't, I don't care what you pay me. Just pay me what you paid me last summer, which was $5.25 an hour. So here I am graduating first in my class and, and taking a job for a little over $5. <laughs> uh, I said, Marsh, you know, if you could just give me a title. I, I mean, I've spent a lot of you know, two years in school and this passion and I graduated with a degree, top of my class. And he said, well, how does spray tech sound? You know, we call them IPM textions now, IPM. Right, right. I, I said, Marsh, that sounds great. And I said, look, I, I'm going to graduate school. I've got to go home. Uh, I was going to get married. And I said, look, I got to take her on a quick honeymoon. I'll drop her off on the on the driveway. I'll head straight back, straight back to Augusta National. And I said, well, wait a minute. I got one more problem. He goes, well, what's that, Darren? I said, I don't have a place to live, Marsh. He goes, well, you live with Brad in the part of three house. So oh, Augusta wow. has this superintendent house behind number one on the par three so i lived with current superintendent brad owen in that house for my time uh, that wow I wow uh definitely uh, special times special people and uh, and that as you said did end, end up at loxahatchee because 
again, just uh, right place, right time. I had sent some resumes to, uh, I wanted to work in Jacksonville, Florida, I thought. So I sent a bunch of resumes there against Dr. Dewich's advice. I, I just shotgun some resumes. Well, fortunately, uh, the superintendent, TPC Sawgrass, Fred Clock at the time, got one of those resumes and he forwarded it down to Tommy Alex at Grand Cypress. And I had interned with Tommy Alex, or I'm sorry, an interview with Tommy Alex at Grand Cypress. And, and he said, next job that comes open, you've got it there. Well, it didn't come open. So I'm back at Augusta waiting and waiting and waiting. And fortunately he had sent that resume to Bill Shoemaker at Loxahatchee club. Got so it. Phil needed somebody. So came down and uh, interviewed with Phil. And um, as you said, Loxahatchee is a special place. And back in the early nineties, when I was there, it was still a top 100 golf digest club. So, and with bent grass greens in Florida. Right. Right. So, right. So as, as someone who grew up in the Northeast, I appreciate bent grass greens because I'm not good on Bermuda, but those are the best. I, I still think they're the best surfaces. They're beautiful. Yes. So, <laughs> uh, that, that was a special time. I was actually only there a year and three months. You know, that was back in the time as we, as we spoke earlier that we were opening up a golf course a day um, on average uh, to keep up with the, the play, the demand. And uh, so a year and three months, but it was, uh, as you said, a special place. Spent some time with Mr. Nicholas. Uh, he would play frequently. Jack Jr. lived on property on the 16th. Oh, wow. So I would I would see Jack Jr. on property and sort um, of walk walk several holes with Jack Sr. every every couple of months. He'd come out and, and spend some time. And he was still essentially the green chair. Gordon Gray owned the golf course, so Jack had a lot of say in what went on at Loxahatchee. Wow. Um, and so and 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 that sort of brings us to old Florida, which I'm so fascinated by, um, because you're a young guy. Um, and you know, you've uh, you know, obviously the great, you know, resume of Penn State and Augusta National, but you know, you're you're a young guy, just started Loxahatchee, and we're what, probably it's 1992, I guess, and you're what, 25-ish or something like that, or something in that neighborhood. And and we've got this elite club starting out um, across the state in Naples, Laxahatchee being in Jupiter. And how did you end up getting that position at such a young age? Uh, right place, right time. Uh, again, and just blessed and fortunate. You know, I believe that you you do make your luck to a degree, but um, uh, right place, right time. I, I had met an individual at school named Frank Doby and Frank Doby was at his, was at the Sharon golf club in Akron, Ohio for many, many years. And, um, a lot of our members are from Akron, Ohio and our current president, Mr. Tom cook was, was really good friends with Frank Doby. So he had remembered Frank saying that at one point that if you ever get involved in a golf course at an early stage, you need to hire a superintendent real early and before you, before you do construction. So, uh, Mr. Cook had reached out to Frank Doby and I ended up, Frank Doby reached out to his Florida friend and ended up on that list of, of short list of names. The One of the other founding members, Lynn Josephson, uh, who's actually his brainchild to build old Florida, he had reached out to the USGA agronomist uh, and said, do you have any names for us? And I ended up on John Ford, the USGA agronomist's list. So I mm. show up on two lists. Yeah, that's good. Matt, at least gets me an interview. <laughs> Um, and I, I got the interview and as you pointed out my age, yes, I was uh, 24, maybe early 25, but, uh, very young and I show up for the interview and I remember one question very clearly. They said, why would we take a chance on this young 24 year old kid? And I said, well, 
Um, I, I can understand that question. I don't have a lot of experience other than my time in Augusta National and Loxahatchee Club. Uh, but what I do have is, is a good network. And what I don't know, I can find out. I've surrounded myself with good people, my network, and and I'll, I'll, I'll find the answer for anything we have to do. So uh, with, with people on your resume, like Marsh Benson and, and Augusta National, of course, Phil Shoemaker and, and many others, uh, I guess that was enough to tip the scale and, and get them to hire me. Plus, so I was <laughs> Fair enough. So, you know, you're going on, well, you're more than 30 years, um, I guess it'll be 31 years in September that you've you've been at Old Florida. Um you were there from the very beginning um, and seen it grow. I mean, what has that been like? I mean, to sort of, I mean, it's got to be pretty cool to have been there at the birth of it and to sort of be able to sort of be the head caretaker of the, all these years. Kind of what if, what, what's your feelings as you look back with any particular accomplishments as you look back that you're particularly proud of? And I'm just curious about your overall experience. It's amazing to be at a place that long. And I'm sure you've got a lot of, um, a lot of memories and a lot of accomplishments that you look back on. Yes. Um, you know, I remember when I was interviewing and I, for this job, uh, I was still at Loxahatchee Club and Phil says, you know, tomorrow you're going to go up to the uh, general manager's office, a wonderful man named Kirk Keebler, who's now a partner with Copland Keebler and Wallace. Yes, right. Kirk Big search Keebler. firm. Yeah, absolutely. He was a general manager at Loxahatchee Club. And again, I'm blessed to have Kurt as a dear friend. Uh, but when he did a mock interview with me, um, I remember one thing clearly when I got done, he says, you know, look, you need to stay there five years if you get this job. And I said, Mr. Keebler, I, five years. I don't, I don't know if I can stay there five years. Uh, I, you know, my goal was Augusta National or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah I quickly learned that uh, you know, it was a special place and to be able to build it, to see it from ground up, to, to watch what happens underground putting the irrigation in, building the greens. Uh, it, it just, I got hooked, uh, still had that drive and that passion to move on. But uh, a, a couple of gentlemen, one Frank Doby I mentioned earlier, Frank, you know, at a young age says, Darren, you don't understand you how fortunate you have it. You've got this great job that people dream of having. Uh, no committees, uh, a board that only meets when needed. Uh, no homes, no pools, no tennis, golf only. Um, and it took me a number of years to realize how special it was. And I'm certainly glad I've stayed. Uh, there's been some opportunities. And uh, one thing that, that I certainly owe Mr. Cook, our club president, a debt of gratitude, not only to take a chance on this young, young man, uh, but also to be supportive. I mean, I kind of look at him almost as a second father. Uh, my counterpart, Tom, and I both do. He treats us like almost like sons. Uh, but he's been a very, he's a very wise man and very supportive through the years. And when we've talked about opportunities, you know, he pointed out that, you know, you've, you've got a home here. This is your golf course. You have built this. You have been involved with everything. There's never been a greens committee. Uh, he lets me do my job. He, he trusts me, empowers me. So it's, I hate to say it's mine because it's not mine. It's the members, obviously, but I have a sense of ownership uh, having been here that long and, and putting my hand on everything from the, from the get-go and then through a, a pretty significant renovation in 2021. So I'm certainly proud uh, that, um, that it's, the golf course is, is, is truly stood the test of time. And I, I have to credit Reese Jones for that. Reese is a, our golf course architect. Right. 
and a dear friend of mine, a uh, wonderful man. Uh, and that's a quote he uses often is that old Florida has stood the test of time. And um, when we did the renovation, there were a few small tweaks here and there. I mean, just minimal stuff, but uh, nothing to change the character of the golf course. Yeah. I mean, that that's quite a thing. I, you know, you touched on something that I think people would be interested in um, just to maybe uh, expand on it for a minute to explain to people. And that's the club's governance structure, which is kind of, um unique um and i i you you also mentioned uh the akron club sharon heights that you know a lot of people come from i understand it kind of date it's a similar structure to what so many of the members had there but maybe just briefly describe because it's very it's obviously worked super well for you and tom and and uh but maybe it, it is kind of different right but um it's it's uh maybe just explain kind of how it works yeah, so it's been this way from the beginning. It, the bylaws and all the documents uh, spelled out that the founding members have control of the operations as long as they're alive. Um, so unless something affects equity, uh, then the, the, the membership doesn't have a say or have a vote. Obviously, uh, we wouldn't have made it this far if we weren't providing a good product. Uh, Tom provides great service and his staff. Um, so we we we've survived uh, from the product we've given them, but yes, no, no committees. Uh, so we have a board and every, there is an annual election and every year the board elects a president and that president for 29 of my 31 years has been Mr. Tom Cook. Um, and imagine will be uh, as long as I'm here. Um, so yeah, it's essentially a benevolent dictatorship, but there is a board in place and the board uh, sets the direction for the club. And they let Tom and I do our jobs. They again, they empower us. Uh, never been a committee since day one. Um, it's you know, GSSAA as we'll probably get to. I was yeah. president in 2018. Well, when you finish presidency, someone is asked to come up on stage to accept a painting that's given to the club in part of a thank you for letting their superintendent serve. So, Mr. Cook came up on stage. Uh, he was with his college classmate Reese Jones. Um, it was Reese Jones, Dick Cheney, my boss all went to Yale. Uh, the oh, same. Wow. I didn't. So I knew Reese went to, I didn't realize they were all in college together. That's very cool. <laughs> they were. So Mr. Cook's on stage sitting on next to the painting. Our CEO, Red Evans is on stage and they're doing a little chat fireside chat together. And, and, and Red had said, Red had played the golf course several times and he was just having a chat with Mr. Cook and, and uh, Mr. Cook goes on to explain the governance of the club about the note committees. And he got a standing ovation when that was said. He, uh, <laughs> you can imagine superintendents uh, are, are envious of the job I have. And, and that goes back to the early days when Frank Doby was trying to convince me how good of a job I had, um, you know, not having the committees and, and a lot of people wanting to just put a mark on a club. Uh, right, right. No, it's got to be great to allow, I mean, it allows you, you're the expert, you know, allows you to sort of do your job, which is great. You mentioned uh, the Golf Course Superintendent Association of America, the GCSAA, so I, which I did want to turn to. So obviously you were super active in that, culminating in being um, president in 2018-19. Um, what made you become so active in that? So it, it goes back to that that very low life time, low time in my life when I had to drop out of FSU and and then a very quick the highlight of my life, finding the golf course industry. And, and I realized that I was so blessed to have found a passion 
many people aren't as fortunate to find something that they get paid to do that they love to do. Uh, so that, that feeling I have of, of being blessed led for me to want to give back. And so I got involved at the local level, the state level. I'm a past president of the Everglades chapter, which is the local chapter here in Naples, Florida, uh, the, the Florida chapter of golf course superintendents, as well as the Florida Turfgrass Association. And, and all that time, that first 15, 20 years of my, my time here at Old Florida, I was also serving on GCSA committees. Uh, so I've served on, I think, every committee that we have at GCSA and, and now wow. since chaired or vice chaired every committee as well. So it, it truly was just a, a, a means to give back because uh, of how blessed I felt to be in this industry. And so I'm, I'm humbled and I'm honored and, and privileged uh, serving as GCSA's president was never a goal. It just it, through, through all my service and time and becoming very close with past presidents. I had two past presidents call me one year uh, that I really respect Pat Finland, who was at the Olympic club during the open, a very good friend and, and Bob Rehnquist, who was at Southern Hills as a superintendent, both past presidents of GCSA, called me one year and said, it's time. And I said, okay. And threw my name in, in the hat for the election and was fortunate to get on the board the very first year and then eventually uh, attained the position of president. Got it. And any particular accomplishments during your presidency, if you look back on it, that you kind of feel like most proud of? Boy, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of, of just being able to serve, uh, able to give back, uh, able to meet so many wonderful people in the golf industry, uh, being able to represent our nearly 20,000 members of GCSAA at various events, functions, golf tournaments, you know, really traveling the world, representing the association and, and my, and my peers, um, I'm a, a big believer in the team concept, you know, together, everyone accomplishes more. And, and that's what I carried into my presidential year is that, look, let's work even better as a team than we ever had. And I'm uh, one of my favorite authors, Patrick Lencioni, a California native. Uh, I had read his book, uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and it yeah. really hit home. I, I enjoyed that book. I, I listened to his podcast. Uh, I enjoyed listening to leadership podcasts. So my year as president, I talked to the CEO, and we always meet when you're vice president. We were at Quail Hollow, and we had a, a couple-hour meeting. And he says, well, what is your what is your goals? What are your you know passions? I said, well, Red, I don't have an individual goal that I want to achieve. Let's continue the initiatives that GCSA has in place and build upon them. If anything, um, I, I just want to increase the unity among the board among the board and staff, and then essentially between the association and its members. Uh, that's when I knew would be successful is when we had increased unity and acceptance and buy-in of all our members. So um, I, I made sure that each board member at the first board meeting had a, a copy of uh, Patrick Lencioni's book. Uh, we then met at the Olympic Club. Pat was gracious enough to host us. And we spent two days in a strategic planning session uh, going over the book we all did the Myers-Briggs personality test. I'm an ISFJ. Yeah. Uh, interesting. <laughs> you, you've talked to my counterpart, Tom. I will yeah. Tom is an ESFJ and I'm an ISFJ. So it's interesting that we've survived. Uh, you know, it's, it's understandable why we survived this long together. And, and right. So close. Right. <laughs> uh, 
I still have board members that serve with me at that time that remember that period and, and how much they enjoyed that and the excitement we had to work together as a group. So a lot of initiatives through the years GSSA has has done when I was on the on the board and then since. But um, certainly the first green program, uh, very proud of. Uh, that was something that, that we we became involved with on my time on the board. Uh, the first green program brings out um, young children to uh, to the golf course. It's based on mm-hmm. uh, STEM, uh, science, technology, engineering, and math. Mm-hmm. And take what they're learning in the classroom and, and bring that to the golf course. So mm-hmm. it's things like measurement of greens, stream velocities. And to date, we are just shy of 10,000 students that have visited golf courses. Wow. Wow. First program. So, wow. Uh, a quote that I've attributed to Abraham Lincoln, I'm not sure he said it, but it's attributed to him, is that the philosophy in the classroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next generation. Yeah. So I think the First Green program is, is not only that, educating the future leaders of our country, uh, but with labor being a challenge, we think it eventually will, will bring labor to the golf courses. Also, uh, let people know that it's a profession. You know, as I said, I was fortunate I ran into Gene Stillman on the FSU campus that last day of college I would have never known what a golf course superintendent does or how great of a job it is so uh, you know first granted we have a a phenomenal field staff in place Uh, we have 10 individuals that work throughout the country that all uh, represent uh, the the members in their region report back to our headquarters in Lawrence Kansas so and uh, I guess finally the one thing I'll end with is our, our phenomenal CEO uh, he was new to the job when when I was elected to the board, and uh, Red Evans uh, just does a, a great job of, of serving our members and representing us and and following the mission statement. Um, and GSSA is is dedicated to serving its members, advancing their profession, and improving communities through the enjoyment, growth, and vitality of the game. Uh, that's everything the association does goes back to that mission statement. Got it. Um, you know, one thing that strikes me as I'm listening to you, um, we, you know, we just uh, had the USGA folks out here, obviously, for the U- U.S. Open LACC. And I had Dean Knuth, who was a longtime USGA guy, you know, on the podcast. And although he's known for the handicapping stuff, he did do some of the green section stuff. And I mentioned all that because listening to you, how does the GCSAA kind of interact with the USGA? Because USGA has that whole big green section, and you guys must be connected with that in some fashion, I would think, or uh, because you, it sounds like you're doing similar things, you know, in terms of you know all the research knowledge you guys have and what the USGA has. Do you guys sort of connect it all in that area? We do. The, the industry in, in my 30 years, and as you are well aware, has changed dramatically. One thing that's changed is that unity. Uh, we know that we need to work to be- together to be most successful. So the USGA, the GSSA, the PGA, the LPGA, all the associations in golf meet frequently. Uh, they meet at most of the major events. The CEOs will get together and meet. So we, we do have a good working relationship with all those organizations. The USGA has um, certainly uh, been very beneficial to supporting our research uh, in, in several initiatives. We, we have a, a BMP program in place where our goal by 2020 was to have all 50 states have their own BMP document, uh, their own BMP manual, and the USGA helped fund that. And they also have been involved in the 
uh, golf course and environmental profile studies that we've done started back in, in the early 2000s, uh, 2005 was our, our first one and repeated those surveys in 2015. And we most recently completed the third phase. So we have you know, documents, uh, documentation and data uh, that track trends in golf. Uh, so we have a good working relationship. We certainly have different responsibilities, uh, but we both um, realize the, the value in, in, in the golf course superintendent and having data to, to, to back it up. And that's a good segue because I wanted to kind of, you know, towards the end here, turn to golf maintenance challenges, kind of where we are today and going forward. And, you know, I'm sitting out here in the West in California and of course, water um, is a, uh, you, you, is a big issue. Um, and the renovations out here, we see certainly at the club I belong to taking more and more turf out of play and trying to be good environmental stewards and just kind of curious your thoughts on that. Cause that's gotta be an area that, um, you know, the GCSAA has, um, been, I'm sure done studies and looked at how we can sort of, um, you know, improve stuff on the environmental front as we do golf course maintenance and, and operations. So in particular water, yes, is a huge concern. It's something we're, we, we take very seriously, you know, in general golf course superintendents are skilled at keeping turf drier these days. Uh, they've changed to more drought tolerant grasses, as you said, some turf production, some no mow areas. Um, I know that I was recently in California actually giving some presentations and uh, the turf that I used here at Old Florida during our renovation of 2021 is called TIFF Tough. Mm -hmm. And I understand it's taken hold in California in, mm -hmm. in part because of its drought tolerance. Uh, compared to what we were using in the 80s and 90s, uh, we have much more uh, better turf grass varieties, that drought tolerance, traffic tolerance, shade tolerance, uh, all, all positive attributes. So uh, there are many things we're doing in the industry uh, to conserve water. And that didn't, I mean, touched on the, the technology side of it with the improved sprinkler capacities of, of Toro Irrigation is based in California. Uh, in 2021, we, we did do a complete head replacement. Uh, it's the nozzles that we're using today, uh, the pump stations, everything is, is geared towards reducing water. Um, so uh, water, we found that based on that in, uh, environmental profile studies we've been doing since 2005, we've actually seen a 29% reduction in water on this up to this latest survey. Wow. That that that's significant, and and you and it's funny. And I know you know uh, Mike Posey, who's our superintendent at Brentwood. I mean, I, I've seen it, things have gotten so sophisticated with watering. You know, we we have a drone that sort of looks at different how much moisture there is and stuff like that. It's I I, I mean, it's just I just remember when I was a kid playing a course in Connecticut, our course in Connecticut, you know, the sprinklers were just beyond. And now it seems like it's way more targeted and the technology really makes a difference, doesn't it? It does. I mean, you know, going back to the early days, we had with quick coupler systems, you had a quick coupler down the center of every golf hole. Right. And you had night waterman that just went out and plugged a hose in in the first one on the first hole, went to the first one on the second hole, and right. time he got to 18, he moved it up. So we've gone from that to uh, computerized irrigation systems with uh, technology such as drones as well. But all 1,193 heads on my golf course are individually controlled. We can control them down to the second. Wow. Uh, we, we look at the water every single day. We look at the evapotranspiration. 
We're out with, we don't do five drums, but we have soil meter uh, tests that we do with the handheld testing devices, uh, checking the moisture, walking the golf course, and only using water when it's needed, which obviously saves water, but it's also uh, for the benefit of the golfer who want a, a, a firm, fast golf course. So uh, we take it very seriously um, uh, and, and don't want to use any more than we have to. Yeah, and and I and it just seems generally people, I know, again, it's true out here, people sort of are more in favor of the firm, fast golf courses. I mean, I think it's more of a challenge. It's more of an interesting game, brings the ground aspect. I mean, it's just, it's a far cry from, um, uh, you know, the old days uh, for me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we're not too far apart in age, but when I was, when I was a kid, you know, you just, you just thought of these lush green courses were you know was there was softness and you wouldn't get the rollout and um it's sort of to me it's kind of a win-win because it's better environmentally it's better water usage and it's i think it's a more interesting game absolutely yeah. um hey darren this has been great i really appreciate you spending the time um you know you and tom and the folks have uh, an awesome place there at old florida and um uh you know congratulations on 30 plus years that's an amazing uh i i know you're not going anywhere but just you know to sit here like 30 plus years um of of great service and and appreciate all you do for the game including your leadership stuff at gcsaa when i, me I mentioned on mike posey that you and i'd be talking and he was well aware of you so i know you cut a big profile um in the industry and and again thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today no you're very welcome that's very kind of you to say i appreciate that it's certainly just been an honor and a privilege to be in this industry thank you sir